0: So I'm going to be reading Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is an angel, a multitude of hosts, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord, you may be seated. If you guys wouldn't mind just giving the Kerwins another round of applause. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Yeah, thanks, Crow family. Thanks, Redemption Tempe for the band being down here, leading us, serving us. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Typically, I'm leading the worship and the liturgy, but this week I get the, the privilege of preaching, which is always a joy. And I love Advent season. I love it. I love the anticipation. I love the energy. I love the excitement. I love it all. It's a, uh, it, it's a season that I particularly enjoy. And, and this Advent season, I, I found myself with a newfound awe for the incarnation of Christ, born as a baby in the town of Bethlehem. Um, my wife and I, we had our first son uh, over the summer, and he actually spent the first week of his life in the NICU. Uh, which is a really hard season for us. And in that place, seeing our baby boy on those tables connected to those wires, um, we could not escape the reality of how vulnerable and dependent and fragile our child was. And what strikes me in this Advent season is that Jesus, King and creator of creation, of the universe, God himself chose to put on flesh like this, As a baby, vulnerable. And my prayer is that this Advent story that many of us might have grown up hearing and knowing does not become so familiar that we grow numb to it or we cease to be shaped by it. This Christmas story is real. It has power, and it is good news, and it is life-changing. So my prayer is that we'd hear it afresh this morning in this season. Amen? Amen means I agree. I'm tracking. So my prayer is that we would hear it afresh this morning. So we're going to be in a few scriptures. I'm going to be covering quite a wide spectrum. So uh, if you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Also, all the scriptures are going to be up on the screen. With this, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. We want to make sure every person has a Bible they can read and follow and study. So if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. But if you do own one and you just forgot to bring it, just leave it on the seat uh, as you leave service. Also, if you need a Bible in Spanish, we will have those as well. So let me pray, and we're going to get after it this morning. Let me pray. God, you are good, and your word is true, and your story is true. And Lord, I pray that this would not just be a time for us to learn something new or to, to hear a nice reminder. I pray that you would change us in this place, I pray that you would speak powerfully to us in this place. Lord, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. I pray that you would use my words. If you do not breathe on them, if you do not empower me to speak, they're just ink on a sheet. And Lord, I pray that you would be with every person in this auditorium, that you would soften our hearts, that we might hear you, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we might see you as glorious and beautiful and true, that we would be shaped by this good news that, Jesus, you have indeed come, that you are the promised hope. And all God's people said... Amen. So this morning we are talking about promised hope. And um, specifically that our hope as the people of God is in the promises of God. That God will be faithful. And as I was prepping for today, there was a song that we sing. The lyrics kept coming into my ears. And it was the song that says, God will do what He said He would do. He will stand by His word. He will come through. Now if we could get Jesse up here on the piano and Joel up here singing, we could really get we could really get going here. But uh, listen to that—that that God will do what He said He would do. He will stand by His word. He will come through. Amen. Yeah, we we say with Psalm one nineteen. It's going to be up on the screen here. This is my comfort in my affliction, that Your promise gives me life. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. My eyes long for your promise. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me, let me not be put to shame in my hope. To put it plainly, and this is just one psalm. We could have pulled out a ton of verses here. To put it plainly, our only hope for ourselves and for our world is that God will keep his promise. So the question is naturally well, what is his promise? I, I wanna start by taking a big picture view, and then we'll narrow into the individual, personal realities of the promise. So, taking a big picture view from the first pages of scripture Adam and Eve in the garden, God creates a beautiful world. Adam and Eve, they rebel and don't wanna live under God's authority, they wanna be an authority in their lives. So, Starting with Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, God promised to deal with sin, to deal with Satan, and to deal with death. God promised to one day crush the enemy's head, to end all pain and brokenness and evil in the world. And a few chapters later in this story, God promised to Abraham to make from his family a people that would bring blessing to the entire world. This would be a world united in love and faith in God. And from this same family line of Abraham, we go a few chapters later, and there's a king, David. And God makes a promise to this king that from this same family line would come an eternal kingdom, a rule of God that would never end. But throughout the story, this people of God, Israel, they forget the promises. They rebel, and they're overwhelmed with sin at every turn. And through it all, God promised to save them, to come near to them, to preserve them, to empower them, and to forgive them. Even when they were at their lowest, in slavery and exile, God promises that he had not forgotten them, that he would establish his kingdom, that he would bring his salvation, and he would bless his world. And the Old Testament ends With these promises in the ears of God's people, wondering when. And then 400 years of silence. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, longing, waiting, wondering, trusting that God will one day fulfill his promise. And out of this silence... Out of this silent anticipation, the opening pages of the New Testament, they roar aloud. They sing aloud. They shout aloud good news. Luke 2, what was read earlier, hear this. Out of 400 years of silence comes this good news. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Matthew 1, verse 20 Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken, to fulfill the promises. God has kept his word. All this was was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Church, this is the culmination of all the scriptures. This is the culmination. This is the climactic shout of all of history. At last, hope has come. At last, God has come to save his people world, to save his people, and to fulfill what he has promised. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God find their yes in him, find their yes in Jesus. Church, I want us to get that this baby in a manger is not just a nice story or a cute tale or something we gather to do in this season because it makes us feel good. No. Jesus is coming. His advent, his incarnation is the entire Old Testament crying out, at last, this baby in a manger, born from a poor teenage girl. In Jewish society, they were the lowest socioeconomic bracket, if you will. This poor family from a nowhere rural town. (laughs) This is where the promise becomes reality. This is the fulfillment of the promise. This is according to plan. This baby in a manger is the spark that will set all the promises of God ablaze. God promises, I will come near to you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus sends his spirit to dwell in us. God indeed has come near. God promises to cleanse his people and save them from their sin. The manger leads to the tree. We're going to be singing a song about that later in the service. Jesus indeed has dealt with sin on the cross. He washes even to the deepest stain of sin and shame. As a friend told me, Jesus, you can't get him dirty, but he can get you clean. Amen. I love you. can't get Jesus dirty, but he can get you clean. God promises that one day he will write his law on our hearts and change our hearts so that we can finally obey him and walk according to his words and his ways. Jesus sends his spirit to indwell us, to indeed change us, to indeed uh, empower us so we can finally live out of this way. He gives us a new nature to transform us and change us, a new heart so we can live out the good news which church is the good life. Living according to God's will and way is the good life. Not just good for you. It is good. God promises to establish an everlasting kingdom. The Gospel of Mark begins, some of Jesus' first words are, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Jesus indeed is the promised king from the line of David, here to establish the eternal reign of God in his world. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that the Christ indeed is King of all forever. God promises that one day all the nations of earth will be blessed. Jesus commissions his restored people, his regathered people, to go into all nations with the good news. And indeed, under the banner of the risen Christ, the final pages of Scripture tell us That God saves a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And God is calling a new global united humanity and community in Christ. And we are evidence of that promise being fulfilled here today in Tucson, Arizona. We could keep going. But the point is, the promises from Eden to new creation, the promises from Genesis to Revelation, all of God's promises, they find their answer in Jesus born of Mary. And there's a painting that I think really beautifully captures this unity of Scripture from Eden leading to Bethlehem. Could you guys throw that that picture up here? You have Eve on the left, Mary on the right, probably the two most important women in all of history. And you have Eve's fruit in her hand, which leads to death. You have Mary's fruit in her womb, Jesus, which leads to eternal life. The hope for Eve, the hope for Mary, the hope for every one of us in the room is Jesus Christ. The evil from Eden will be crushed by the baby born of Mary, Jesus Christ. See, God has kept his promise in the past. And this impacts our present reality. How do we know God will keep his word? How do we know he's trustworthy? How do we have hope? I want to encourage us, look to the manger. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb for assurance and hope. This is where we see that God has kept his word. And all of these past promises kept fuels our confidence in the present and our hope for the future. Say that again. All these past promises kept fuels our confidence in the present and inspires our hope for the future. Jesus' coming is not just good news for the past. It is good news for the present and it's good news for the future as well. So I want to just read some scripture about what God has promised to us as the church. I want to hear what is proclaimed to us, church. And I want us to know what I'm about to read. This is our destiny. This is our promised reality. This is our promised hope. So we got some scriptures here. Let's start with 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that God has made to us, eternal life. Jesus promises in Matthew 28, I am with you always. Behold, even to the end of the age. Romans eight thirty-eight, Nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nothing. Let's try it again. Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hear that. Jesus is with you. Nothing can separate us from his love. And he's given us a promise of eternal life. Romans 8, a little further on. And verse eleven says, "If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you're in Christ, he does. That's why we stand in the assurance of grace. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you." Second Peter three: The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation in which righteousness dwells. If you are in Christ... You've been given a resurrected identity. It says 2 Corinthians five seventeen: If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are in Christ, you participate. You are promised that you will, you will inherit this new creation, that you are part of this new creation, that you will have a resurrected life that will participate in this new heavens and new earth. This is what it's promised to us. Take it to the bank. God will keep his word. And then let's look at the last day, Revelation 21. The final day where evil is purged. Our faith has made sight, the great day, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is where all history is going. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. <laughs> That's good news, amen? What is promised to us is good news, Amen? Our hope for the future is not wishful thinking. It is promised. All of this good news, all of this promises to renew creation, eternal life, people reconciled, forgiveness of sin, evil purged, death defeated, kingdom blessing. It is all Jesus. It is all Jesus. All this good news, past, present, future, all of this good news finds its source in the baby born in Bethlehem. There is cosmic, there is communal, and there is personal good news in this plan, in this story of God. This story, it, it's so wide, it's so big, and yet it's so near and so personal. See, the baby born in Bethlehem means good news for you today. Today. Through Christ, God is offering a new life. He's offering a new hope. He's offering a new destiny. He's offering a new family, a new reality, a new identity. A new identity of son or daughter, secure, loved, and pure. Jesus offers forgiveness and freedom in him. Jesus says that one day he will return to rule. And there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more death, there will be no more decay. Evil and injustice will be wiped away. Jesus is inviting you to be part of that story of that life of that kingdom. Jesus has come. His blood has been shed. Sin is that serious. He died so we don't have to. His tomb is empty, and he is calling. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. No job, no degree, no promotion, no relationship, no social media account, no political party, no community can offer this promised hope. To reject this love and to reject this life It's to reject love and life itself. We tracking? You you could say the Bible, the story of God, is, is a book of God keeping his promise, which it is. But it's also a story of God's people either hoping in the promises or rejecting the promises. See, all of these past promises kept, what they should do and future promises guaranteed should change how we live in the present. All of these past promises accomplished, future promises guaranteed should change how we live in the present. We've been given these promises to spur on faithful living. A couple of weeks ago, Dave hit on this so well. God's faithfulness fuels our faithfulness. This is not white-knuckle it and try harder, do better, and maybe God will love you. No, God already loves you. He's already been faithful to you. He's already chose you. He's already called you. He already has a secure identity for you. Now, out of that, live faithfully. Those are radically different things. God's faithfulness fuels our faithfulness. I want to look at Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. This will be kind of the last scripture we, we spend some time in. Says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And now, out of that, because of that, due to that, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a few things I want to pull out of this text. One, quickly. First, notice the role of community in this text. If we're going to live faithful lives of love and, and good works, if we're going to hope in the promises, if we're going to live out of this, we need to be encouraged and we need to be spurred on by one another. Just fundamentally, we need each other, church. Community is not redemption communities, small groups, you know, mentorship. are not just like, oh, that stuff churches should do. Gathering here together is not just, oh, I guess that's what churches do. It is how we are spurred on to love and good deeds, that we need each other. This is not just a live podcast, right? If that was the case. Like, go listen to better preachers and go listen to like, better worship music than me on a Sunday morning. It's out there, I assure you. Uh, this, is not what this, this is not just a live podcast. There is something that happens when God's people come together and it, it spurs us on to love and good deeds. Second, we just got to call it like it is this morning. We got to be honest. Some of us are discouraged. Some of us are hurting. The idea of having a hope sign up behind me, it's like, are you kidding me? It's, my, some of us in the room, it is hard to hope right now. And I just want to assure us that, that God is faithful. He will keep His word. You have something to hope in, even if you're hoping in the dark. Some of us are in a season of just holding on. And I want to encourage you that even if you fail to hold on to God, He will hold on to you. Jesus says, No one will snatch them out of my hand, and that includes each one of us. Jesus is faithful to hold on to you. If it feels like you're just barely holding on, know that Jesus has you secure. He is holding on to you. Hope in the promises. As I was preparing for this, I, I could not help but think of the next chapter of Hebrews where it talks about so many people in the scriptures, so many people of old, did not taste the promise, but they saw it and they greeted it from afar. Many of us in the room, you feel that. You see it, you're like, "I believe it, help my own belief." but you don't taste it. You're not tasting the promises. And I just want to encourage you that one day you will. A day is coming where you will. But right now you're feeling like you're greeting it from afar. And I want to tell you, maybe to be a little bit vulnerable, um, there are things I greet from afar. Many of you know this. My family, my wife has type 1 diabetes. Her pancreas will not produce insulin uh, in this life. And I greet from afar eating with Kelsey in the new kingdom and her not needing to administer herself drugs and insulin and prescriptions. I long for that day and I greet it from afar. She'll one day be free from disease, but I greet it from afar. Some of us greet from afar, being freed from depression or disease or addiction or loss or trauma. What I want to encourage is the promised day is coming. Have hope, church, for that promised hope will not put you to shame. The day we greet from afar is Revelation 21, what was read earlier every tear being wiped away, all things being made new, judgment or restoration, depending on if you love and surrender to King Jesus. Heaven and earth united the kingdom. The humble manger leads to a glorious throne. This is where all of history is going and it cannot be stopped. What the manger is proclaiming what what the miracles were proclaiming that Jesus performed, what the church being established is proclaiming, what what Jesus, what the cross proclaims, what the empty tomb proclaims, what the spirit given and poured out proclaims, what the ascension of Jesus proclaims, what all these things from manger to a tree, what they all proclaim, church is that God wins. God wins. And in this world, we have all these narratives and all these distractions and all these things that are impeding us. And we have all this noise. And we need to—part of what we're doing here on Sunday is to remember the truth, remember the story. And the story is that God wins. The victory is secure. That's why we're here. Jesus' death spells an end of the old. And Jesus' resurrection spells the beginning of the new. If you are in Christ, the old you has passed away. And the new has come. It is the death of the old and the beginning, the inauguration of the new. Again, it is not just a nice story. This is reality. There is so many implications here. And part of why I get passionate when I preach is that there's a cutting through of the noise that I think needs to happen when we gather. Why we shout and we sing and we're passionate and we believe is that there's so much noise distracting us from hearing this good news. Jesus has won the battle. Satan is a defeated foe. And a day is coming when the strife will end. Justice will reign. Death and evil will be a memory. Jesus has all the victory. And if you are in Christ, then you are victorious as well. Amen? I think about our lives as—I wasn't necessarily planning on sharing this analogy. I think of our lives as one of the most helpful analogies I can think of about where we're at. Some of you know the story of World War II and kind of the the framework there. Um, D-Day spelled the end to Nazi Germany. It was the beginning of the end. But there were still many battles to be fought until V-Day. Parades in the street, victory— Soldiers coming home where the strife would be completely over. But that decisive victory on D Day, you could say, is the decisive victory of the death and resurrection of Christ. And we are moving forward, if you will, towards Berlin. It is coming. The parades are prepared. It is coming. V Day is coming. The day is coming. New creation is coming. And we live between these times, if you will. Between the advents, between the coming of Christ, between the decisive victory and the consummation of that victory. Does that make sense? So what's the point? From the manger to the throne, the promises, the hope, the point is that knowing what story we are a part of changes how we live. Knowing the end of the story changes how we live in the present. Regardless of what is coming your way, what trials are before you, this, we can walk in confident hope. We have something to hope in. It won't shake us because we know where we're going. Some of you have heard me share this analogy before. I'm going to change it from Seattle sports analogy to U of A sports analogy for our context because I love you. it's like this how our perspective changes. I asked a couple of buddies of mine, what's the greatest comeback in U of A football like, history? And they told me, hey, there's a game a couple of years ago against Cal that went to overtime. There was a Hail Mary at the end. How many of you guys were at that game? A good number of you. Yes, a couple of years ago here at Arizona Stadium. And um, what happened in that game is they were playing Cal. Cal had this quarterback who's now a superstar in the NFL, he's like the first overall pick. And, um, what happened in this game was Cal got out to this huge victory, or huge lead, excuse me. And what was happening in that, uh, they got out to this huge lead, and then, like, the stadium leaves, right? Like, the whole stadium leaves because there's, there's no hope and, and whatnot. And people are depressed. They're leaving. Uh, all hope seems lost. But then all of a sudden, Arizona starts this massive comeback. There's onside kicks. There's turnovers. There's all this crazy stuff happening. And as that's going on, you know, people are anxious. I remember watching that game, like, on, on television, just sitting there being like, what is going to happen here? This is crazy. You're anxious. You're, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So it changes your entire posture of watching the game. And, and, and what happens is at, at the victory, people celebrate. Uh, uh, I'll save one person's story of what they did to celebrate. But uh, it was euphoria in the stadium. What I did is I went back and watched that game uh, as I was preparing for this. And as I was watching— when Cal got to this huge lead and all hope seemed lost, I wasn't sitting at the Mercado as I was watching the game on YouTube being like, what's going to happen? I'm, this is shaking me to my core. I wasn't anxious. I wasn't fearful. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't, you know, overwhelmed. Because I knew what was happening. I knew, there was, I knew there were touchdowns coming. And every one of the situations, all these things that seemed improbable, that seemed like, oh, what's going to happen? I knew what was happening because I knew the victory was secure. And, and it made the trials, it made the unfortunate situations, it made the things that looked so big and daunting, they seem so small in light of the secure victory. I don't want to say, like, that is true. I don't say a silly analogy like, to minimize what you're going through. Please don't hear that. But it should change the way we view this life. It should change the way that we encounter trials and temptations in our world. We can have hope no matter what because the victory is secure. So so what I want to close with, church, is, is I want to give us a charge here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 that the promises of God should spur on faithful living. You can go read that another time. For example, God's faithful and promised love should spill out into our faithful love for our neighbor. God's extravagant promised forgiveness and grace should overflow into our giving of grace and forgiveness to those around us who wrong us. Right? See, see, God's incredible generosity should spur us on to faithful generosity with our neighbor around us, to those who are in need in our community. See, God's amazing humility, Lord of the universe incarnating as a vulnerable baby, don't lose the awe and wonder of that. Please, church. It is astounding. This amazing humility should purge pride and foster humility in every one of our hearts. As God has been faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future, and this empowers us to live faithfully in the present. Church, we are loved. We are called. And we've been given these promises that we might live into them and we might live out of them. Church, we have a responsibility and we have a calling as the promised people of God to live and hope faithfully. The promised hope is coming. We are representatives of that day, of that kingdom, of that king. Our world is dying for good news. And we have it. We have it. The best news of all. Jesus Christ, at all points to the baby born of the Virgin Mary in a little town of Bethlehem. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming in the most unexpected, humble, beautiful ways. I pray this story would not be a fable to us or just a nice story to us. I pray that it would change our lives. It would change the way that we live. As you are loving, as you are gracious, as you are faithful, would that spur us on to do the same? Lord, I pray for those who are discouraged in the room today, that you would draw near to them that you would comfort them. God, you say you're the God of all comfort. Would you comfort our brothers and sisters and friends in this room that need it? Help us to be the faithful people of God. Would Would we be a faithful people on mission, hoping well, living faithfully well, loving well, that it might make your name look glorious, Jesus? Spirit of God, we can't do this in our own strength. Would you please empower us Would you give us a strength we don't have, a love we don't have, a generosity we don't have in and of ourselves. Spirit of God, change us, change our hearts so we might look more like you. Help us to hope in the promises. They are secure. Help us to believe and help our unbelief. We need you. We're desperate for you. And all God's people said, amen.